Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome to the More Clients podcast. With me today is Nigel Merrick. Nigel's a displaced Brit who now lives and works in Memphis, Tennessee as a marketing consultant and coach for professional photographers. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Nigel. Um, why don't we start, before we get going with the questions, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you became a consultant and coach for photographers? <laughs> Well, Ian, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really glad to be here. And I know you, I had you on my podcast uh, some time ago. You were one of my very first guests. So I'm thrilled to be able to come on here and, and chat with you. And yeah, my uh, my path is a, sort of somewhat uh, tortuous, I guess you might say. I spent many years, about 20 years or so in IT as a programmer and project manager. And uh, my last sort of real job, as it were, was working for a bank in Bermuda as a project manager and programmer. And But I spent a lot of my time scuba diving and taking photographs underwater. And a friend of mine said, hey, how would you like to do that for a living? And I just kind of went, what? Hey, um, I don't know. But anyway, long story short, ended up uh, sort of throwing in my desk, as it were, and exchanging mm-hmm. it for a wetsuit and did underwater photography in the Red Sea in Egypt for a while and then eventually wandered around and made my way here to the States. And when I came to Memphis, I opened up a wedding and portrait business uh, back in 2004. And enjoyed doing that and did that for quite a while. But uh, my wife is always saying to me, well, you seem to spend so much more time tinkering with your website and all that kind of stuff, you know, instead of doing the photography. And I'm like, yeah, well, I actually enjoy it, you know. And and so I eventually kind of caved in and uh, said, you know what, I do enjoy this a lot more than the photography, although I love the photography bits. So I decided switch gears a bit and, I, and now I help photographers do, with their online marketing so I teach them how to do all that stuff that everybody hates like SEO and blogging and websites and social media and of course email marketing which I know is one of your areas of expertise uh, and all that kind of stuff so I guess you know people look at me with a bit of a weird eye sometimes and say well you know you seem to enjoy all this stuff and I just say well I love to play at the things you hate doing so there <laughs> it's a handy skill really in some ways you've kind of gone full circle i guess back to your um technical roots yeah you know what i, I think uh, the problem is is that you can't get the geek out you know ah. once it's in there w- once a nerd always a nerd i suppose <laughs> fair enough well actually we're not as it happens we're not going to talk really technical stuff apart from maybe a couple of little questions we're obviously talking mainly about photography and imagery and um, how that affects your website and your online presence and your marketing. Um, cause we really are living in an increasingly visual world. Um, you know, when you look at the way people interact with websites and web pages, often these days they're put off by sites that are just purely text. So, um, for you, um, what would you say would be the top uses of photography and imagery on a professional website for someone like a consultant or a coach, the typical, um, listener to this podcast? Yeah, and it's it's really refreshing, you know, to get off the technical side <laughs> of things for for a change and talk more about some of the aesthetics, if you might say. 
you know, for a consultant and a coach, and of course that's what I am too these days, mm. so I guess this applies to me as well, is, you know, imagery is important because, as you say, people don't just want to come to a website and see nothing but a huge, great big wall of uninterrupted text that looks like somebody scanned War and Peace and just stuck it on a website. You know, that that's kind of off-putting and it, and, and it doesn't really lend much of a, a friendly face, if you like, to the content. So using photographs and graphics and, and images to break up the content can certainly break it up into more manageable chunks for people to consume for one thing. And again, with websites that have, you know, say a, a wider screen width, because I think, you know, in recent years we've seen website design go to much wider uh, column widths than what we used to see in the past. If you have text that spans that whole entire uh, post width, as it were, I think some some of them can be, you know, around a thousand pixels or mm. so. That's quite long, you know, to read. And and so putting images, especially if you align them on the right-hand edge, uh, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a second, but it kind of reduces the reading width and makes it easier to read, especially at the beginning of an article. Mm. So if you have a, if you want to start an article off, the way I typically tend to do it is I'll have the first paragraph in bold, uh, you know, with my keywords in it as well if I'm you know, doing a focus keyword. But then I'll have an image on the right that narrows that initial reading width down so that people can get into the content. So that's, that's probably, you know, one big benefit. Another one, of course, is that the images that you put into these posts helps to convey complex ideas with a bit more clarity sometimes than trying to explain them in words. Mm. Uh, and so it doesn't have to be photographs. It can be infographics or it can be uh, sort of maybe uh, graphics that are designed to illustrate a process or something like that. Uh, another benefit, I think, is that images help to create variety and interest throughout the post. And so, you know, people can read words and then they can look at images, maybe read the captions. And of course, you know, we could include videos in that kind of whole mm. um, genre of imagery as well, I suppose. And, and then there's just the aesthetics. You know, your photographs and images make the content seem generally more appealing. I guess you might say, maybe a little bit more shareable. And, and, and then finally, I would say that having visuals on a, on a page makes that page more sort of easily shareable on social media. I think, I think that's definitely true. There are lots of um, data on, um, on sharing things that show that if something's got an image in, it's much more likely to be shared and people are likely to, to kind of spend longer reading it, etc. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, bounce rate is one of those things that everyone seems to be worried about these days. You know, I, I'll write a 5,000 word post and I try to put images into it. And when you look at the analytics and you see that people are spending 15 seconds on it, either they're the world's fastest readers or something's up, you know? <laughs> Just go through the images. So you talk generally about the kind of the advantages of imagery and photography and graphics there. There's one special case, of course, um, especially for consultants and coaches who are selling their own services, and that's the image of the um, the consultant or the coach or the lawyer or the accountant themselves, a kind of headshot imagery or, or profile photo. So 
Quick question first. What's your advice on on using? Where should we use the, um, profile photos and headshots? Obviously, you have to have one on LinkedIn and your kind of profiles on social media. Um, but what about on your website? Would you, would you put a profile image on your homepage? Yeah, actually, I think, you know, for a consultant and a coach, I think it makes sense. And, and for anyone else that's doing things like a lawyer or even doctors and chiropractors and all those, um, people who do, you know, private practice and so on, anyone that, that services or serves people, I think it can benefit from putting a profile photo on their homepage. It doesn't have to be huge. Uh, but it, it lends a friendly face uh, to the content. And I know that you, you're very big on showing people how to build relationships with mm. prospects, for example. And I think that having a face there, something that people can relate to and connect with the content helps to further that development of that relationship. So I would say, yes, definitely – Put us an, an image, at least a small one, on the home page, and absolutely on the about page. I, I, you know, I've lost count of all the number of times I go to somebody's about page, and there's no photograph of them. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, going to say the exact same thing, uh, Nigel. Oh, you're about to say that's true of a photographer as well. <laughs> oh, good heavens! Strangely enough, oh. strangely <laughs> kinda, enough, it is true. Yes, you can I, kind of vaguely understand it for consultants, but not for photographers. I, I know. I, there's there's a whole uh, can of worms that we could get into <laughs> on that for photographers, but it's, it, it it is odd. You think well. As photographers, they would have great profile photos, but a lot of times they really don't, or others they're missing altogether, and it's a shame. And it's the worst ones that I see actually, which seem to be kind of fashionable for photographers, is they have a profile photo of themselves with a camera right in front of their face because they think it looks cool, and you can see one eye and half their nose, and that's about it. And it's not really, I don't think, all that. So you Effective. don't get that, that friendly relationship building um, right, face right. thing. Yeah, that, <laughs> and I certainly see that with consultants that the you go and check their. It's often the second thing you do after you've seen the homepage. If you're thinking of doing something with them, you go and check the about page. And often there's very there's often I suppose some people want to try and create this impression of a professional business that's perhaps bigger than they really are, and so they end up not saying anything about themselves because they're a corporation even though there's only one of them. Um, and it's a real, it's a <laughs> yeah. real shame because it's the one advantage you've got, isn't it? As a, as a small solo business, your, your real biggest advantage is you yourself versus the yeah. faceless corporations. And yet we then pretend to be a faceless corporation. Right. And, and that comes across in the copy sometimes too, when they write things like we do this and we offer that. And this is, these are the services that we provide. And it's just one person. Mm. So that's really, I guess, the first tip is if you are a solo business or a small business, do play up on your on your own image and write about yourself rather than writing as if you were a larger corporate because it's your edge. And many people do want to have that personal relationship, especially in something like consulting or coaching or, as you were saying, any kind of private practice where right. they're dealing with you as a person. Yeah. And I think another place where a photo can be tremendously helpful is on a contact page. Because we see a lot of pages on websites where there will be a, you know, get in touch with me type of thing and there'll be a form on there and maybe, you know, a list of, of some benefits as to why they should get in touch or some guidelines or whatever. But then there's no photograph of who it is that the person is wanting to get in touch with. 
And even though that photograph has been used on, let's say, an about page or the home page, I think it's worth putting the photograph of whoever it is that you're going to be contacting next to the form so that, again, it, it creates that friendly connection. Somebody knows they're getting in touch with a real person and it can break down some of the resistance, I think, that especially if someone has a long form, you know, yeah. with several fields on it that might increase the resistance. That's right. I mean, form, forms like that, contact forms, can be quite daunting, actually. You don't think of it when you're writing because, of course, you think, well, what could be more wonderful than contacting me? Um, I'm <laughs> lovely. Give me a call. But, of course, right. the, person, the person at the other end of that doesn't know that. They don't know that they're going to not end up in some call centre somewhere or speaking to someone who's going to give them the hard sell on the telephone. So it's a little bit daunting. And I hadn't thought of that. I actually have a photograph on my Contact Me page, but I must admit, not because of any great strategy, it's just because there was some white space there and I couldn't think of anything else to use to fill it. <laughs> um, but it sounds like I accidentally did the right thing there. Yeah. So, so in terms of, so A, using, um, using your own image is a good thing and helps to build that relationship. Uh, what are your tips for a good personal profile photograph? What sort of things, you know, I guess, how should it be posed? What should, what should we have in it? Well, for me, it would probably be, you know, grab a photo of George Clooney and use that. Uh, <laughs> but that's probably not going to work. No, <laughs> no uh, I think, first of all, I think consistency is important. I, mean, I know that's not a, a, an attribute of the image itself, but using the same or at least a similar image across all of the social networks and profiles that you have, I think it helps to create uh, a, a common thread, if you like. And And I do see quite often where people have one f profile photo on their Facebook page and a different one on their LinkedIn uh, and different ones again on their website. And I think if they're consistent about it and create a sort of a, a, an online brand of themselves mm. by using the same or a similar image, I think that can help. But as far as the image itself goes, I would say, first of all, it needs to be in focus. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I hate to have to say that, but the trouble is I see an awful lot of profile photos that look like somebody, you know, halfway through their lunch decided that, hey, I probably need a profile photo, and they grabbed their phone and did a quick selfie, selfie yeah. and, uh, and decided to throw that up instead. And, you know, and it's out of focus. It's in the, you know, probably in a restaurant someplace or something like that. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it just doesn't give that sort of mm. professional image. Uh well lit is another one. Uh, you know, don't, don't do this up a dark corner of your living room with the lights off in the middle of the night. You know, do, do it somewhere nice. You know, do it in your office and have some, uh, some lights and all that kind of thing. Uh, keep the background uncluttered. This is another big issue too. I, I think uh, there was some, some mention a while back. I can't think who it was that said that they had, found that a blue background works best or something for business photos. I don't really know if that's true, but at least have a non-distracting background. Mm. And not You don't necessarily want to be standing there looking like the only thing missing is a plaque with numbers on it, you know, and that you, it's a mugshot for prison or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> but, you know, just, just have a, a, an uncluttered background. And then a simple and friendly pose, which is not always the easiest thing in the world. It's easy to say, uh, mm. but you know, just basically a simple photograph that's close up, 
you know, head and shoulders, uh, preferably. You don't want something, you know, where you really have to squint and blow the photo up to see anything in any detail. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, try not to have something in front of your face, you know, like photographers do, but they stick in their camera, mm. uh, between them and the camera. And uh, in ter- so in terms of the, the, you know, the head and shoulder shot, I guess that's the traditional shot. You sometimes see on people's websites, you know, a more kind of trendy shot of maybe them leaning up against a brick wall, but it's not a brick mm-hmm. wall. It's the side of the text on their website or whatever. But I guess the problem with that is it then makes the face so small, you can't really pick out the features. And I guess it's the, it's the features of the face that, that, that make, make, make a connection with people that help us bond. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you, you don't really want it to, the face to be so big that it takes up the entire photograph, but simply, you know, head and shoulders is, I think, a good... The best one to go for. A good format, yeah, for a profile photo. And uh, talking about profile, of course, as well, uh, you know, try to avoid just looking straight at the camera. You know, you can be t- t- sort of angled maybe 30 degrees either way. Uh, so that your head is kind of turned towards the camera a bit. Okay. I must admit, I've, I've fall, fell foul. I fall, I fall foul of that one. I'll say correctly right now, probably because the uh, the last professional photo- photographs I took were, were I weighed about two stone more, so I, I'm very hesitant to use them. And uh, <laughs> so, so um, yeah. The, but it's one of these things we all, we all need to look at and, and and revisit, isn't it? And and make sure it's it's creating the right impression because it. You know, it does. It does make a big impact. And going back to what you said right at the start, that consistency. I think uh, there's a kind of rule of thumb in advertising. If you're using pay-per-click advertising, for example, that your your advert needs to match your landing page. There needs to be a kind of scent because what you do get is if people click on a certain look and feel of an advert, and they land on the landing page, and it looks and feels completely different. Their natural assumption is they, they've gone to the wrong place. They've clicked on the wrong thing. It's not what they were expecting, etc. And I guess it's the same with your profiles. If someone looks, sees you on Twitter or LinkedIn and they've got a certain image of you there and they click through to your website and it's a completely different image, um, it can make them think they're in the wrong place. Yeah. No, that's, that's very true, actually, because you, I know that, you know, in today's world with, with, with the social media thing kind of being what it is and uh, everything's being a little bit less formal than it used to be. But still, you know, if you're a, a lawyer, for example, and you want to portray a very authoritarian kind of figure and somebody who obviously knows what they're doing and is able to win a court case, <laughs> presumably, that's some kind of things you look for, uh, then, you know, having a profile photo of yourself at the beach surfing is probably going to create something of a disconnect in that regard. I know that's a bit of an extreme example, mm. but I think the qualities of the image, you know, what it is that you're wearing and all that kind of thing, probably should aim to support what it is that you do as opposed to um, just, you know, showing yourself, you know, throwing yourself off a mountain on a bike yeah. or something. So think about what, what image you want to portray and then keep it consistent across media. It doesn't have to be the exact same photograph, but the same no. style so that people would recognize it's kind of the same one 
across right. media. It's, you know, it would usually be if you'd gone for a shot, uh, a shoot with a photographer, you know, you maybe use two or three different photographs from the same shoot as opposed to one photograph from that shoot and then the other, the other social media have got photographs from once from five years ago and then one's your wedding photo, that, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you want people to be able to kind of recognize you between them. Right. Hey, what, uh, what about imagery elsewhere on your website, Nigel? You talked earlier about blog posts. Um, and there's definitely, again, data that shows that if you have images in your blog post, people read, spend longer reading them. And of course, mm-hmm. that's going to, um, increase the, the time on your site, which of course Google is looking at these days as, a, as an indication of how good a site it is and therefore how it should be ranked. Um, so what's, what's your advice for imagery there in terms of what sort of images should we be using in blog posts? Um, you mentioned before about right aligning them and is there a particular type of image that works best or stock, stock images, et cetera? What, what's your overall advice for blog posts? Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one because there are so many obviously different types of content for blog posts. But I would say that, you know, use images that support the content in some way. It, it may sometimes be somewhat obtuse. It might not be immediately uh, an obvious connection, but Use images that really kind of help to support what you're saying or just add some extra interest to what, what it is that you're saying. When it comes to stock photography, um, yeah, this is a whole, whole big can of worms. There's a, what I like to call the Pleasantville images. You know, they, the, the, the stock agencies seem to be full of smiling, happy people in clean, shiny offices looking yeah. good. You know, looking at computer screens and pouring over reports like it's just the best thing in the world, <laughs> and they just don't look real. I mean, they they look utterly fake and and kind of just plastic. And and there was a time I, th- I think when those types of images were very popular and a lot of people used those. But now I think this is <laughs> people have realised that they just don't look all that convincing, and and so people are sort of avoiding those and i would say definitely to avoid those types of things uh, and good stock photos you know especially ones with people in them are actually quite hard to find i think you know i i actually use stock photography on my site oddly enough i you know i was a photographer and i had I have a whole heap of f- photos on my hard drive but sometimes i'm looking for images that are, you know have impact you know mm. and so I, I will go to a stock agency and 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 use some of those or another one thing that i do is i I approach the photographers that i'm helping and say look you know i want to help promote your business why don't you send me some images over that i can include in a blog post and i'll link over to your website as a thank you uh, Ah. for doing that and that's very very popular actually people do do like that so that's and that's something that anyone can do really is if they everyone has their own local photographers yeah um with studios etc and if they have it's interesting in my mind for, for me when i was thinking of photography you kind of imagine that the only thing a professional photographer ever takes photographs of is you know, people who are paying money but i'm guessing in their spare time they also take a whole bunch of other photographs which they can then give you the rights to use on your on your website yeah, and you know, stock photography has become a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, it's a great resource for uh, folks like uh, you know businesses and consultants and whatever, where they can get cheap photographs to use on their website. But unfortunately, that process is actually damaging the photography business as a whole because it's it's devalued 
photography in some regards. You know, we live, we live in the day where you can get, you know, image for a dollar, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And, and so a lot of photographers are struggling. And, and so by partnering with a, you know, a local professional photographer who's willing to, you know, to strike a sort of a trade deal, if you like, uh, you know, is a good thing because it helps them and it helps you too. Especially if and, your, your blog post gets quite a lot of visibility. Yeah. Um, then uh, it's going to give their work visibility. Mm-hmm. And I guess in both cases, even if you're using stock imagery, I think you're, you're hinting at before, you, you don't want to be just using the obvious you know, it all seems to me that every stock stock photography site has the same group of people of friendly <laughs> friend, friendly middle-aged business people and attractive young women in meeting rooms, exactly. shaking hands and stuff. You clearly don't want to use the same stuff. I guess it's a matter of thinking a bit harder, isn't it, about what kind of image would make an impact and related to the point you're making in the blog post rather than just, well, I'm writing about business, yet let's use a picture of people having a meeting, you know, I'm writing about sales. Let's have an image of two people shaking hands. Mm-hmm. You've, got, you've got to think a little bit further than that. Right. And and there is a, a, a caveat that I would add to the, you know, partnering with a professional photographer it is in that don't just go look some local photographer up on Google and call them up and say, hey, can I use some of your photos for free? You know, I promise to give you lots of exposure because that that tactic really doesn't work. You know, it's kind of like, okay. oh, the response you'll get is, oh, here's somebody else who just wants free photos. Yeah. Uh, so it, it has to be something that's part of an already existing relationship, I think. If that makes sense. So obviously, if you if you've used a photographer for your own imagery, you can phone them up and say, "Hey, I've I've had a thought. How about mm-hmm. an addition and uh, and I give you a credit that looks like this, etc." Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it, it it can certainly certainly help, and it and I think it will make your your blog posts and articles and such like stand out just that a little bit more. And other images that you can use too. I think you know if you attend live events or you network with people in the real world, you know, you, you can take photos there uh, of you interacting with people and that kind of thing. And that can, uh, that, that can help too if you want to put those into blog posts. And the only other thing that I would really say on this particular topic is to avoid using too many photos in a blog post. Okay. Uh, now, this may not be you know, such a big issue for coaches and consultants, but it's certainly one for photographers that I try to uh, <laughs> hammer to death all the time is that they'll put 30 photographs into a blog post and 20 words of text ah. and, and, and call it done, you know, and that's just not really a good idea. So don't overwhelm people with images. Use them intelligently. Use them with purpose. To support the points you're making rather than just throwing them in to look pretty. Yeah. Okay. So um, you mentioned earlier about search engine optimization and that being one of your little uh, uh, technical joys. Um, mm-hmm. What can we do with our images that, that yeah, will help with, technical with stuff. SEO? <laughs> Yay, get to the good stuff. Yeah, awesome. Um, okay, so with images, uh, there's not you know too many things that you, ha- you have to do as regards SEO goes on those, but you can do things like Make sure that the image has a file name that has key, the keywords in it that you want to uh, rank for on that particular page. Uh, so, you know, it could be something like, uh, you know, Memphis 
lawconsultant.jpg or something like that, mm-hmm. perhaps. Uh, use captions on your images. So rather than just put the photograph into the blog post on its own, you can very oftentimes make use of a caption that describes more about what the image is trying to say or just even kind of do a summary of some of the points in the that are in that part of the post mm. and put that in the caption because people do read those. They do. There's data that goes back to, I think, you know, even the old days of um, advertising in newspapers and magazines that shows in in an advert with a lot of text in the thing after the headline the second most read thing i think is the is the caption under the mm-hmm. images mm. yeah yeah and you can put keywords in there obviously and that will help with the seo mm-hmm. uh testimonials if you have testimonials from happy clients then not only can that help to bolster the social proof on the page and and add to the content but it can also help with local search uh, SEO, if that's appropriate to the business, because testimonials typically have the person's name and city uh, in there, and so it's a natural way to include the location of the business. Uh, well, you know, I hadn't thought of that, but if you do run a kind of local type business or a country level business, make that just means make sure that you don't just put someone's name in their business, mm-hmm. but you put their their location as well. Yeah, and that will help you be found by searchers from people in those locations or looking in those locations. Right. And then we've got the, the on the technical side, we've got the alt and title text for the images. So make sure that you've got some keywords in there. Make sure that the alt and title text are descriptive because the title text is what shows up when somebody hovers their mouse over the image. Uh, so you can make it those descriptive, but also include some keywords. And then I think images just also improve the overall user experience and that in itself can be an SEO benefit yes. as we talked about uh, before. Now the only other thing that I would probably mention here with this is if you're running a WordPress based uh, website and blog when you put images into a piece of content very often what happens is WordPress will link to the, just to the image itself you know that it'll create a, a clickable well, an actual clickable link to the image yeah Right, and I would avoid doing that. Uh, it, sometimes we have to just go and turn that off, you know, yeah. f- for that particular. You just remove the photo. link on that. I think you just click none, don't you, instead of yeah. the, the link? Yeah. Yeah, because that that can not only interrupt the user experience. I just think you know, it's just it just doesn't look all that good. Um, and with the with the, with the images in the in the blog post in the SEO, um, is the is there any kind of Anything you should be worrying about in terms of size of images and things like that? Because obviously you don't want the page taking hours to load. Any, any recommendations on, on, you know, if you, if, if someone isn't used to working with images so much, um, what should they do to make sure their images aren't too big? Actually, that's a very good point. Uh, because I, I do see a lot of times where somebody's web page takes a long time to load and, and you look at it and it, they've got a, an image that's, 2,000 by 3,000 pixels in natural size, but they're trying to display it at, you know, 200 by 300 mm. on the page itself. So if at all possible, size your images according to how and where they're going to be displayed before you upload them right. to the website. Now, I know everybody's not got uh, Photoshop, or, you know, or anything like that, but there are tools, I think, that you can use that will 
export your images either from uh, from a mobile device actually I think sometimes but also from your computer too there's there's some I think even free tools that you can use that will actually do that I don't have any examples um, it's completely dependent on what you use isn't it I'm, I'm just thinking yeah. I, I don't use Photoshop but I sometimes use Fireworks which is a, yeah. a really old copy I've got for, 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 for images and that does it and I have a sneaking suspicion that my wife Kathy uses just the preview the PDF and an image viewer um, mm-hmm. on the Mac allows you to do that. So it depends on your computer. I guess if, if everyone just Googles um, image resizing tool or and um, image compression tool, they'll you know there'll there'll be a there'll be a bunch of stuff. Don't buy do, don't buy anything the a tool to do it specifically. There are plenty of tools available for right. free on the web that will right. allow you to shrink and compress images, and then you can upload them after that. Yeah, but you know, just size the images according to where they're going to be yeah. displayed. So if you only need a 300 pixel wide image, then size it to that and then upload it to WordPress and, and it will be, or, or your website, you know, which, whichever, uh, and, and it will load so much faster. Excellent. And quick question for you. Are, are there any particular image types, um, that you think are kind of in vogue? Right now, you know, there tend to be kind of trends in this stuff, don't they? Is the kind of images people are using? Yeah. Inf- infographics have been very popular for quite a while now. I think are still popular because they seem to work. Any anything else you think people could be looking at in, for their website? Well, you know, infographics are good to use. I, I'm kind of late to the party on the infographics thing. <laughs> They've been around for a while before I started really looking at them and thinking, well, actually, some of these might not be all that bad and. Uh, recently, I came across an idea uh, which is uh, sort of like an infographic, but it's more a list of tips and ideas. And uh, I think uh, whoever it was called them typographics. Right. And they, they, those particular images actually work very well on Pinterest, for example. And they tend to be tall, vertical images with uh, a list of tips, maybe five or six mm-hmm. ideas that are easily consumed and, and read uh, and can be easily shared on, on a network like Pinterest. So that, so those work well. Uh, quote graphics are always good, of mm-hmm. course. We see a lot of those around, you know, the usual sort of inspirational mm-hmm. and motivational quotes or, or anything like that. You can even take, uh, let's say, Let's say you're writing a blog article and you, you make a particular point that you feel is a key point in the piece. What you can do is you can take an image uh, and then overlay that particular point, the text of it, in uh, Word even. You could do this in Microsoft Word uh, you know, and create a, an image with that text on it and use that as a sort of a breakout image in the post itself. So that would work. And... One that I use particularly is the featured image. And uh, not all WordPress themes will display the featured image, you know, the WordPress post mm-hmm. thumbnail, I think it used to be called. Uh, but I always output a featured image at the top of the post that has a text overlay on it. And and I know that uh, I was listening to, um, I think it was the, the one of the recent Rainmaker podcasts mm-hmm. with uh, Brian Clark, and he was talking about his work on his new website, further.net, and how he uses uh, images that have text on them, like you'll have a quote from Albert Einstein or something like that at the top of the post. And it just kind of sets the scene, creates a bit of interest, and gets sort of creates a sort of a lead-in, if you like. Uh, but, you know, all these images and all this kind of thing really... 
has a problem at the minute with things like uh, social networks. You know, they, they all have different formats, it right, seems. Yeah. Uh, it's become a bit of a headache, to be honest with you. It, it kind of harks back to the old Betamax and VHS yeah. days, and of course, we're showing our age. So, you know, you, you can say, oh, I don't remember that. That was, uh, was before my time. I, I don't remember oh, any God. of that. <laughs> but, you know, the format problems are uh, quite. Um, there's a sort of a nuanced way, if you like, of getting around all of those. And I think it helps if you have different images that court, that will serve different social purposes within the same document. So uh, as an example, I will have a featured image on my blog post that is usually you know, 720 by 480 pixels. Mm-hmm. So it's a horizontal style image. But then I have to create another image that's similar to it uh, that I use only when it's shared on Facebook. And that has a particular... Uh, size format as well, but it's different to the to the normal sort of. And is that? Do you embed that in the blog post, or is that somewhere else on the on the post in the kind of background coding or somewhere so that Facebook picks it up? Yeah, it's in the it's in the background coding, and so I, I use the WordPress SEO plugin by Yoast, but yeah. uh, you know there's other plugins too that you, that will do the same thing, and it just has a space in there in the social tab where you can specify uh, an image. That Facebook will use, and it creates oh, yeah. a an open graph metadata tag. Oh, there's there's a tag. You've gone, de- you've gone geeky oh, there. Well I'm, done. I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but that that's, but that is really very interesting. I had no idea. I used um, WordPress SEO by Yoast. I had no idea it did that. But you're absolutely right because you see on Facebook some images nice and big, and they fill the full screen, etc. And then sometimes images are kind of compressed over to the left, and they appear much smaller, and they lose all their impact. So yeah. you've got to get the image sizing right, and you're seeing you by using this, you can upload the right size image to face um, for use on Facebook. So that if someone shares it, it'll appear just as, just as you want it, um, as opposed to it kind of randomly picking an image um, from the post that isn't necessarily the right size. Right, and it and it can have it can be a completely different fa- image too, you know, in the sense that it could have more of a call to action on it, you know, in text. Now, if you're going to be using that same thing as the basis of a Facebook ad, then you may want to be more careful about the text yeah. that's on the image. But if it's just something that's going to appear in your newsfeed, and you want people to to take some action on it, then you can. Sort of ramp up the impact, as it were, or the call to action on the image in the text that you put on it. But that image doesn't necessarily show up anywhere on the page okay. when people look at it because it's it's in the metadata. Oh, that's interesting. So you might use the image you were using generally, but but I, I overlay some text on it, which would yeah. doesn't appear in the post. That's it. just a quick um, <coughs> excuse me, quick technical question about overlaying images. Um, do you kind of – so in that case, you would like take an image and maybe um, put a, a, a square of, you know, colour over it but make that um, semi-transparent and then put your text on top so people can see it or something like that? How do you how do you do your text on top of images? Okay, so I, I, I use Photoshop for doing that, um, but you can use Microsoft Word. You can use other, other image programs. And it really depends on the image and the text. When, when I'm looking for 
stock photos particularly that I'm going to use for this type of purpose, what I'll look for is an image that has a certain amount of what we would call white space. So in other words, it's an area of the photograph that doesn't really have anything right. much in it. It might be the sky or clouds or even the foreground. You know, It might be a field or something like that. But when you overlay text on it, it, it still stands out. You can read it. So it's the choice of the image that, deter, that, that, that does all that. You pick an image that you can easily stick something on and it won't – it'll be readable, basically. Right. Uh, failing that, uh, you can do exactly what you said, which is to create a little background box in a solid color that's faded out a bit, uh, just so that it increases the contrast between yeah. the text and the background of the photograph. Um, the other thing I would mention uh, real briefly is Pinterest, uh, because pin- Pinterest is becoming something you know quite a quite a force in sharing content around the web, uh, and it can help. I think if if you create Pinterest friendly images to put into your posts, sometimes like these typographics that I mentioned earlier on. So these are more kind of vertical ones than horizontal. Right. Okay. Right. Now, what I found is that there's there's a lot of Pinterest uh, plugins around that will essentially stick a pin it button on just about every photograph right. on the website, which I find is a bit too much. Yeah. And I prefer to have, you know, more sort of individual control. But whichever way you do it, make sure that you have one image at least that will look good on Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Uh, a vertical... A uh, tall image that stands out, that has some tips on it, perhaps, or quotes, or whatever you want to uh, do with that. So you could you could just summarise some of the main points of the blog post. I'm going to get an image, as you say, this typographic thing. If you're making seven, you know, seven ways of uh, of, of selling more to corporate clients, you mm-hmm. have your article, and you could summarise. You could have an image with the text overlaid with those seven points on them. I guess. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely right. Is there any kind of uh, plugin you would recommend that gives you this control that, um, th- to select which one's your Pinterest image? Well, I, I kind of gave up on Pinterest plugins, to be quite honest with you, because I, I, I just didn't get on with them. So what I tend to do now is I use the Pinterest widget builder, and it's, it's a page that's on the Pinterest website okay. that, where you just literally say, okay, this is the image the URL of the image I want to share. This is the URL of the page that will people will go to if they click on it. And this is the text that gets put into the description of the pin when uh-huh. it's shared. Now, you do have to watch out with that because it doesn't like things like uh, even question marks. I think it throws up a fit. Right. If you put in a question mark or put uh, like apostrophes and quotes in there so that when people do click the button, <laughs> it your text can get cut off halfway oh, right. so through, so you kind of have to play it, around yeah, with make it. Make sure yeah. you've got it right. Mm-hmm. And then, and that, that does that give you a little snippet of code you can then use on your website? It does. Yeah, it gives you a piece of code that you can just copy and paste into uh, your website. And I have actually been experimenting lately by just pasting that into the caption for the image, and so the little pin it button just appears right underneath the photograph. Ah, very good, very good. You know, I have to say, I mean, there may be many people listening from kind of like the harder professions, as it were. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, Pinterest, you know, that's just a, you know, where girls go to look at pictures of, and it's just not true. It is, um, I've seen some examples of, you know, the most macho pursuits and the big Pinterest boards driving a lot of website traffic, yeah. um, to those, to, to those areas. So it is well worth investigating no matter, even if you don't think, I mean, you gave a great example before, um, Nigel, of these, 
um, I forget what they're called, typographics. Mm-hmm. Now that, because normally you might think, well, I'm an accountant or a con- I'm a consultant. There's not really natural images associated with what I do, but a typographic or an infographic or something like that, um, or, or even just one tip, um, overlaid on an image, that's the, that would easily go on Pinterest. And if people like that tip, then they're going to share it on Pinterest. Right. And those things can get shared around quite a lot. Uh, you know, I've been experimenting lately. I, I've only just recently, again, again, I'm always late to the party for some reason on these things. I don't know why, but, uh, I've just recently been experimenting with Pinterest and I have found that these sort of tall vertical graphics that have nice tips on them that are clearly written, uh, you know, concise, get shared quite a lot. Uh, it's, they're like it's an e- surprising. They're like an easy way of doing an infographic, aren't they? Because it's yeah. the same principle. It's some simple stuff encapsulated in an image, except, mm-hmm. of course, you don't have to make it all sorts of statistics and graphs. It's, it's you know, seven main points or whatever. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you can encourage people to pin those very easily just simply by saying something like, here's a tip, pin this image to one of your Pinterest boards as a handy reminder of what this post was about and as a sort of a bookmark. Mm. Uh, and that way people can go, oh, thank goodness, you know, I don't have to remember all 5,000 words of that blog post. I can just pin this. There's a few things there to jog my memory. And if I want the whole thing, I can always click on that and go back and see it. Excellent. Excellent. Perfect. Hey, that has been really good, Nigel. Some some lots of stuff in there I just wasn't aware of um, that I'm going to kind of go off and do right now, actually. <laughs> um, I, I can't believe I missed that on your SEO plugin, for example, that you could do that. Um, rather than having to use the same images everywhere. So excellent. Thank you very much. Um, if people want to find out more about you and the work you do with photographers, or of course, go and look at some examples of, uh, where you've used these principles yourself and the, and mm-hmm. the images, um, where should they go? Okay. So my main website is, and I don't know why I picked this name. I think I must have been in some kind of a drunken stupor or something at the time. But anyway, it's xenolog.com. And so that's, uh, and I'm going to say this the English way, Z-E-N-O-L-O-G-U-E.com. Mm-hmm. And I also have a podcast, uh, photographymarketingmasters.com. And so uh, either one of those, but Zenalog. You get some, you get some good um, marketing ones, irrespective of whatever um, profession you're in. You know, I went on and did a, did a session on email marketing for you, and whether you're yes. a photographer or not you know, the, the people you bring on, you can get lots from that, from that podcast. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I get emails all the time from people uh, telling me that the posts that I write on Xenolog are actually applicable to quite a wide variety of businesses, not just photographers. I've had all kinds of people <laughs> get in touch with me and say, hey, I really enjoyed that. I'm not a photographer, but hey, you know, that was really helpful to me. Excellent. Brilliant. That is really great, Nigel. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, if, as we've just said, if anyone wants to find out more, head over to xenolog.com or photographymarketingmasters.com for the podcast. Thanks again. Hey, well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. It's been wonderful talking with you again. Cheers. 